We are continuing our series, Church Values, One Church Values, and this morning we're talking about biblical teaching. Uh, we, have start, we started off by talking about community, and we went out of our building, we went to the community, and we said, hey, we love you guys, and we're, not only do we love you, not only do we love being a part of our community, but we want to help in any way that we can, and so we invited the town council, we had a few people come out from there, and we just were like, listen, we've got resources, we've got people, we've where are the holes in our community that need to be filled? Who are the people that need to be served? Who are the people that need help? Because every single community has the hurting and the lost, and those are the people that God has sent us because we didn't... It's not the healthy that go to the doctor, it's the sick. It's those that are hurting. It's those that need the love of a Savior. And so we want to be able to identify those people, and we want to go out, we want to help in any way that we can uh, to serve them. So we said that about the community. Last week we talked about family and how um, it's one thing to say that we value the next gen, but we value the whole family unit because the family unit is under such pressure these days that at s- in some cases the home is really just an emotional hub. We don't do things together. We just kind of come together. We might eat together. We might, but ultimately this is where ex- emotions explode and and family is meant to be so much more. It's meant to be this support system where children are trained up and adults are trained up and spouses are mutually encouraging one another and submitting to one another. And so we value family. And being a family is tough, so we want to come alongside and help any way that we can because we value and we know that God values family. And this morning, I took on this really nice light topic. Um, of biblical teaching. Before I get too far, uh, I, it was interesting, back this summer, the council and I sat down and we were going, having this discussion about what is something that one church, what are these things that one church values? And one of the parts of the conversation were, are these things that we as leadership value, but maybe the congregation doesn't f- share it with us? Which is always a valid question. We don't want to be like, hey, one church values this, and you're all like, no, that's not us. Sorry, we're out. And so part of the series is, like, there's kind of a selling feature to it, saying, like, hey, these are good things that we value, and we want you to value them right alongside with us because we believe that these are the things that God has called us to value. But along with that, I want to say I, I have really thoroughly enjoyed our Wednesday nights. I know we're only two in, but we were, like, packed out in the foyer. We got, like, we're... It's so good. And the community of Wednesday is a good reminder that these are, these are our values in action. We value families, so we put all of our events, all of our ministries on one night. And one night, it's because we value family, we want family to be together for once instead of running around in whole different directions. It was a reminder that we value community, that we want to be together. We want to share coffee, we want to share snacks. We... I see you, Amy. I see you. <laughs> Look at this. In case you couldn't hear her, that's what she's saying. Um, we value community. We want to be together. We want to encourage one another. We want to grow together. We want, we want this. 
And it was a good reminder of this one, that we value biblical teaching because our kids are so excited about these cards that they're getting, about the biblical characters. I, we had so many kids show up on Wednesday, and they're like, huh, how do I get the card that I missed? And we're like, ooh, we have to come up with a plan for this. I, public humiliation is not out of the question. But like, what can we do so that you get the card that you missed so you, don't have, you have the whole deck? But even for the adults, we were just so like, we were soaking in new information that we wouldn't get out of Scripture. We looked at so many different sources, and we're looking at Paul and who he is and why he did what he did and where he started, and it was so good. So if you missed Wednesday, you really need to carve out some time and prioritize it. Everyone who's been there is like, yeah, Wednesday's good. So you really need to get there. We love our Wednesday night. And so this is the one other, we got Sunday and we got Wednesday. Those are the two nights that we're operating. So please make it a priority to be a part of it. But when we come to biblical teaching, the reason we prioritize biblical teaching is because one of the things that every single person in this, in the world is pursuing and trying to figure out is this question. What? is truth oh yeah nice light topic and i could you know i don't worry we're only going to be here for like three hours as i unpack this thing so just get comfy we got lots of coffee i'm just kidding we're not going for three hours all the new people are like oh no i never go three hours but anyways we're going to just really scratch the surface of what truth is because this is the one thing that's under so much scrutiny this is the one thing that people will fight over they will give up friendships over they will give up family for and if you've been in church for a while that language sounds familiar that families will be divided over this friendships will be divided over this Kids will turn against parents, and parents will turn against kids, and in-laws, well, in-laws turn against each other without any cause. But this is something that they will turn against. Truth, what is truth? That it is this thing that we fight over, and we go to social media, and we push our agenda, and what is truth? So I'm going to give you a few definitions. I don't, there will be a test at the end, so make sure you write these down. Oxford defines truth as that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. That which is true, thanks, truth is what is true. Thanks, Oxford. Um, or is in accordance with fact or reality. Webster defines it as a body of real things, events, or facts, actuality, or the state of being the case. It's fact. And Britannica, this is probably my favorite definition of truth. Britannica had like this long article, not these nice little one-liners, but this was the beginning of their definition. Britannica says that people need the truth about the world in order to thrive. People need the truth of the world in order to thrive. Believing what is not true is apt to spoil people's plans and may even cost them their lives. Britannica says this. It's like, oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Because it sounds a lot like something that we read in Scripture. John 8, Jesus says this. He says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth. And the truth will 
set you free. Well, that's interesting because the Britannica says that by knowing the truth, people will thrive in the world. And Jesus says if you know the truth, it will set you free. What's the opposite of freedom? Bondage, slavery, not thriving. And so it's interesting that even at the highest educational institution, they understand that truth is something that is freeing. It opens our minds. It opens us to op- to <clears throat> it opens us up to operate and engage in the world in a way that opens us to really live life the way we're called to. And Jesus said the exact same thing. He just did it 2,000 years prior. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will be free to live the life that you were meant to live. And one of the things that has happened is that we, society has tried to change the meaning of truth. I read one article in preparation of this that said that there's four kinds of truth. Oh, this should be good. There's objective truth. Objective truth is true no matter what. No matter the situation, no matter who's talking about it, no matter what's going on, objective truth is truth. Is truth. But there's subjective truth. And there's truth that's dependent on who's interpreting it, who's in, whose perception it is that's looking at the truth. There's subjective truth. There's normative truth. And normative truth says that what is true for this group of people is true for us, but maybe other people don't think it's true. So one church, the Carlisle campus, will have a truth that maybe other churches or other groups won't have, and it's, it's just our truth. And the other one is complex, and I won't get into it because it's complicated. But <clears throat> there's four, they, they try, because what happens if we break down truth? Well, then it's like, well, what does, these thing, what does these categories fall into? And we can kind of interpret it as we want. Well, you think that's objective, but I think it's subjective. You think that's subjective, and bleh. And we complicate it, and we move, we move the marker, we move the, the treasure, we move the point so much that people just ultimately give up on trying to understand what the truth is. It's interesting that we want truth to be this subjective thing. We want truth to be this thing that we can mold and manipulate. But, but we really don't. We want it for selfish reasons, but we also don't want it to be subjective for selfish reasons. For example... Let's say somebody broke into your house and stole something of yours, okay? They broke into your house, they stole something of yours, and they get to court, and the judge and the lawyer is cross-examining them, and like, just so we're clear, uh, you broke into the house. He's like, well, I didn't, <sighs> breaking in doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't, that doesn't sound like something that I would do. I just let myself in, is what I did. I didn't, I didn't break anything to get, I just, I just let myself into the house. And I'm sure if they would have been awake, they would have, I'm sure they would have invited me in. So I didn't really break into the house, I, I just, okay, well, you stole something. Well, uh, stole, again, st- stealing just, it, that just impacts my reputation when you say that I stole something. That is, I don't like that word. I helped myself to something that I wanted more to them, more than they wanted it. And so, you know, I really, like, liberated the thing from, like, abuse and neglect so that I could get the most out of it. Because I think it was pretty dusty. I don't think they had actually used it in a while. So I just, I, I really did what was best for the thing. Who here would be upset if the judge let them off based on all of that? Yeah. 
everyone who did put their hands up are all lying. Like, that would, you would be furious. Like, really? We, we, breaking and entering and theft are now subjective to how it, the person feels about it. Gross. That's not how law works. And that's not how truth works. Because there are things that are true no matter who's looking at it. And truth in its, <laughs> truth in everything that it is has to be objective. It doesn't matter who's looking at it. It doesn't matter who's talking about it. It is objective, unchangeable reality as we define it. So the question comes back still, though, is what is truth? And I love this. I'm going to make it really basic. Because Scripture tells us that truth is not a thing. Truth is not this philosophical concept that needs to be studied and needs to be understood. You know, we read lots of books and need to figure out who it, what it is. Actually, Scripture tells us that truth is a person that can be known. Not something to know about, but someone to be known. Jesus is the truth. It says in the Gospel of John, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come, come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus starts off by saying, I am the way. The way to what? The way to the Father. Jesus stand, just puts it right out that there is only one way to God. The world tries to convince us that there's so many different ways that, oh, do you just choose the path that works best for you? No, Jesus says, I am the only way. You want to get to the Father? You want to get to eternity? You want to get to heaven? It's through me. End of story, end of discussion. One way, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the truth. You want to know truth? Let's look at the one person who was able to live their entire life without sinning. They're the one person who's able to have this uninterrupted connection to the Heavenly Father, the creator and sustainer of everything. Let's look at the one person who seemed to get it all figured out and you're like, yeah, he is the truth. So let's hang on to his, his teachings. Let's hang on to who he is. Paul says repeatedly, imitate him. Why? Because he is not only the tr way of the truth, but he's also the life. We want to live our best life. We want to live this thriving, free, unhindered life that Jesus is talking about back in John 8? Let's imitate the one who figured out how to live a truly free and unhindered life. Unhindered by sin, unhindered by the temptations of the world, unhindered by anything. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in order to know Jesus, Jesus says that not only can you know me, you can know my Father, and this is why we dive into biblical teaching. Because Scripture is not a story about a bunch of people interacting with God. Scripture is a story about God interacting with a whole bunch of different people. And we really want to know who God is. We really want to know who Jesus is. In order to know who Jesus is fully, we need to know who the Trinity We need to know all three persons who make up the Godhead. So that's not just Jesus. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Know all of these people. Know all the persons Three in one, I'm not getting into it. Good luck understanding that one. It's supposed to be a mind wrinkler. 
So we dive into God's word and we watch how God slowly but surely reveals himself through his prophets and through his kings and through his apostles and through the person of Jesus. And as we come to know God, because not only Jesus is truth, God is truth. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus said in the end of John, that the Holy Spirit will come and lead us into all truth. Even as I was thinking about Wednesday night, as we were pausing and we're looking into Paul and we're looking into everything that he accomplished, we don't look at Paul to get to know Paul better. We look into Paul because we want to know how how Paul interacted with God, and more importantly, how God interacted with Paul. How did Paul pray? What does it mean to be led by God, by Paul's example? What does it mean to go and to plant churches and to, to be a... How did Paul teach his people to live good lives? What did, what did freedom look like for Paul? What did, what did service look like for Paul? Not because, we, again, not because we want to know who Paul is, but because we want to see someone who's struggling to live out their faith in Christ. We look at David, a man after God's own heart. Okay, why was he a man after God's own heart? Because I want to honor God. I want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. What did he do that I can replicate so that I can have that unabridged relationship with my Heavenly Father? Well, guess what? David wasn't perfect. David made mistakes. Okay, well, good. Perfection's not a... <laughs> perfection's not a, qual- uh, <laughs> a prerequisite. Good, because if it was, I'm pooped. Um... study scripture so we know who God is and by knowing who God is we understand who we are and how we fit into his plans 2 Timothy Paul says this to his young apprentice all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. But what does it say? All of this, all of Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true. We're right back where we started. And, it, and I think it's interesting that Paul made a point of saying, if we're reading this and there's a disagreement, what does he say? Scripture is doing is finding everything that's wrong in our lives and teaching us to do what is right. So if you, if at any point, you or anyone that you're talking to disagrees with Scripture, I hate to break it to you, you're wrong. Scripture is always right. And if there is a disagreement or something makes you uncomfortable, it means that that is the Holy Spirit speaking through His Holy Word into your heart saying this needs to change. This does not belong. James talks about how God's word is a mirror unto our lives. And so often we go into this mirror and we walk away completely unaffected, even though it may have pointed out some things. It may have pointed out that we are holding on to some bitterness or it may have pointed out that we're holding on to a grudge or maybe whatever scripture points out, it's, it's amazing how often, it doesn't matter how often you read, it doesn't matter if you've never missed a day in the last 30 years, God is speaking to you through this. Because we are a work in progress every day of our life, and we need this truth in us. Paul says in Romans that we need to be transformed by the renewing renewing of our mind so that we can know the good, perfect, and pleasing will of our Heavenly Father. 
We value biblical teaching because this is the one thing that is objectively true. You can't change it. You can't, you can't mold it. You can't twist it because if you're going to teach this, you've got to teach it from front to back in congruency because we can get into it. There is no contradictions in this book. One of the interesting things was I was um, back at Medicine Hat. We, were, we had a, a mosque move in to the city and uh, we wanted to connect and we wanted to see, you know, what were they about? What kind of a mosque was this? And we were studying uh, their scriptures, the Quran. Not studying like intently, like trying to know what it is. We just wanted to kind of know the basics about it. And we discovered that there are huge contradictions within the Quran. It seemed like every single writer changed something that the previous writer had put. And so when we posed this to the leaders, we were like, why is this? Like, ours doesn't do that. Ours is congruent all the way through. And even if there it seems to be a contradiction, there really isn't. It's two truths that live in parallel of each other, but there's no contradictions. Why does yours blatantly contradict itself? And uh, for them, whatever was the newest thing written trumps whatever came before it. That's how you work around it. So for, for them, truth changes. Well, that's interesting. That's unfortunate. <laughs> again, there's that moving target again. Do you imagine you're out hiking and you got a compass and north kept moving on you? You'd never get anywhere. How do you use this thing? North doesn't move. Truth is not a moving target that we need to like figure out from day to day. It is something that is known. It is something that is, and it's not something, it's someone that we can pray to. It's someone who wants to talk to us and engage with us and wants to teach us and help us become the men and women that he has called us to be because God formed us in our womb. He planned every single one of our days of our life. If there's any truth to be known, it is him. It is Jesus. It is God Almighty. And this is why we value everything we do. Is it starts right here. This morning, did everyone get communion cups? I meant to do it at the beginning. Did everyone get communion? Anybody not get communion? There's the spring going on. Everyone's got? I don't have one. <laughs> Thanks, Clay. <laughs> So worried about you guys. I forgot about myself. Um, Mitch didn't get one either, apparently. <laughs> we haven't done communion in a while. And one of the thing, one of the big reasons that this is so important for us as believers, as the church, is because it is a reminder of one of the truths that it can be so hard to comprehend, but it needs to be the thing that inspires us and encourages us to become the man. Because Jesus is coming back. Jesus didn't stay dead when he died on the cross. We can see that Jesus died on the cross. That is, but Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he's coming back. And one of the teachings that come with this is that we do this until he comes back. So this is our step. This is an act of faith. This is an act saying that I believe what Jesus said is true, and I know that I know if he said he's coming back, he's coming back. And not only am I going to live that way, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going, it's going to influence the way that I talk, it's going to influence the way that I act, it's going to influence everything about my life, because I want, when that day comes, I want to stand before him with my head held high, saying, 
and hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Because the alternative of well done, good and faithful servant is not so good. The alternative is away from me, I never knew you. I don't want to hear those words. And so once a month, which we haven't done this in a while, so I apologize. But once a month, we stop and we pause everything that we're doing and we take the cup, we take the bread, and we remember that what has happened in here is not the end. It's really just the beginning of everything that's to come. Because we believe that Jesus is true, we believe that his teachings are true, and we believe that if he said he's coming back, he's coming back. So the night that he was betrayed, you can get your bread out, get your bread ready. And the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. Gave thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and he said, take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body, which has been, given, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. The same way, he took the cup. He blessed it, gave it to his disciples. He said, take this, all of you, and drink it. This is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It has been shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Let the worship team come on up. I ask you to bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I thank you that you have made truth something that is immovable. Just as you are unchanging, just as you are the same from the time you created the world to the time the world ends, you are this unchanging person. You are the standard of truth, and just as you are unchanging, your teachings are unchanging, your truths are unchanging, and so God, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord God, that you are our true north, and as we pursue to understand what truth is, we pursue to understand who we are in your plan and what you have taught us, and as we dive into your word and unpack it for our, for our own lives, Father, may we be constantly challenged by the truth. Holy Spirit, we invite you in to just seek out the things that do not belong and replace them with the right things, the good things that you've called us to do. And as we take communion, God, may we pause and remember that one day we're going to stand before you and may we live our lives today, every day, in a way that honors and blesses you. God, I thank you that you are, you are so gracious that even when we fall, you pick us up and dust us off. And we know, God, that time is limited. We know that, Jesus, you could come back any day now. And as that day approaches, there's a coming a day where we won't do communion anymore because we'll be joined with you. And so, God, may we not sit back and wait, but may we be actively serving in our community. May we be actively using the gifts that you've given us so that we can be ready for that day, that we can stand before you with our heads held high and 
hear those words, well done. Because we're not taking anything for granted, but we see it all as a gift from a loving Father, graciously poured out for each and every one of us. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for your example. I thank you for your teachings. Help each and every one of us to just imitate you in all that we do. May we be the best imitators of you in the process, not be bogged down, but experience the freedom that comes with living the life that you called us to live. Jesus, we love you. Give you all our praise and